Hello, hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Music and Mindset Matters podcast. I am so excited to have my very first guest joining us today on the podcast. Your ears and hearts are going to be so blessed with the wonderful wisdom and insight from Alison Davies, a registered music therapist living and working on Tomic Inner Land in Lutruwita, which is Tasmania. Um, Ali and I first became friends several years ago, actually, when our children went to kinder together. And we soon discovered oh, so many shared passions through music and nature and the weird and wonderful workings of the brain. Um, Ali has just had so many years of experience working across early childhood, um, adolescent mental health, youth justice, neuro rehabilitation, age, dementia and palliative care. I mean, the list is so extensive and so admirable. Um, and I'm just going to read something from her bio so I get all the words correct. But she works within a neurodiversity framework. So that means that she favours regulation over intervention and she shares her own lived experience of autism and in that way she really empowers others to use music as a tool for neuroregulation at home and in the classroom. Um, she creates online resources for parents and teachers seeking guidance around how to use music therapeutically in their own lives and to reclaim their inherent musicality along the way. And that's something that I really, you know, that really stands out to me um, when I think about Ali, um, you know, on a personal level and a professional level, she is really passionate about this. And in the podcast episode, you'll get a really clear insight into just how passionate she is about debunking that myth that, you know, the musical ones are those who can sing in tune or play an instrument. It's, it's a really um, fabulous conversation that we have and I, um, I know that today is only one part of a conversation that we're going to have in the future again. Um, and look, tr full transparency, it's no mistake that I invited Ali on this week in particular um, as I prepare for the Music and Mindset course to open for enrolments next week. So my Music and Mindset course is my eight-week comprehensive course that I offer online. Um, it's only open two times each year, so in March and September, and that way I can really, um, you know, focus my attention on the cohort of students that come through. So with um, with the open week, it's a virtual open week. So just like if you t attend an open day for a uni or TAFE, or um, you know, this is going to be a whole week. Um, it gives you the chance to um, really tune into what I'm all about, what what the course offers, um, catch up, you know, um, bounce some ideas off like-minded educators. Um, one thing that I'm really keen on doing, which I do every time, is opening a three-day challenge. Now, this is a free event. It's a three-day challenge to embrace your musical bone. Um, like Ali, I am so passionate about making sure that we all understand that we are all musical. We all have a musical bone. So during that challenge, it's three days of live training with me. It's on Wednesday, the 27th of September, Thursday and the Friday. It's a combination of a little bit of theory in each live that we go, each live session um, via Zoom. Um, and it'll also have a daily action step because I really want you to know what it means to turn your theory into practice. 
um, and I'll just give you a little heads up there's going to be prizes for the most active challenge member um, you need to register for the challenge though so I'll pop the link down below in the show notes and that means you'll get the daily email reminders the link to the zoom sessions you'll get a workbook with the action steps um, and you'll be able to access the recording if you miss the live sessions um, although you know the live is where the music happens uh, the magic happens so there'll be prize giveaways for those who show up live too just quietly um, we'll cover three topics why music supercharges the brain um, and how we're all born musical um, day two will be understanding beat and rhythm through simple percussion instruments and i'll actually make um, a recycled shaker with you um, and the third day is singing basic basics and being okay with using your voice in your way um, and that is a good segue into another topic that Ali and I cover in today's episode is that um, you know she she just spreads her magical healing with so many people around the world through that through um, supporting people to find their own musical voice um, or just their voice in general actually I'll, this is a great thing for me to read out for you as well from Ali's bio information I'll read it out to you because the way she's worded it is just beautiful our voice is one of our greatest tools for self-expression emotional release advocacy and empowerment yet it has been suppressed for so long that our culture firmly believes our voice should be used for cognitive based spoken communication only she goes on to say throughout history our voices have been suppressed silenced limited cancelled mocked questioned and ignored and i this is ali's voice Ali commits to using her work as a way of dismantling the patriarchal censorship of voice and empowering our local autonomy. End quote. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Really powerful. And, you know, that comes through with Ali as well. She's really got this wonderful presence and she uses her power in such a gentle, strong, but gentle way that, you know, oh, you're just going to love the episode. Let's just get straight into it. Grab a drink if you need to, grab your AirPods or your headphones or whatever you need to do, get comfy and I know you're going to love this episode today. Um, all of Ali's uh, get in touch info, all of her links are in the show notes as well. So let's get straight into the interview. Hello and welcome to the Music and Mindset Matters podcast. I'm your host, Christy Russell. I'm a music and mindset mentor and founder of Movers and Shakers Music. I'm also a trained early childhood teacher, piano teacher, musician, mum of two, wife and passionate Aussie entrepreneur. I'm on a mission to spread the magic and power of music and mindset to as many people as possible. Every day I tap into the power of music and mindset and every day I notice how much more focused resilient and connected I am at work and at home. You could even say I am more in tune with myself and the world around me and I want that for you too. If you're passionate about early childhood education, curious about the relationship between music, mindfulness and the human brain, then this podcast is for you. Join me each week as I discuss all things to do with music, mindfulness and why it matters so much to be advocating for this in early childhood. My goal is to inspire you with stories, research findings and a whole heap of practical tips so that you can have the confidence and skills to embed music and mindset practices into your daily routines and your early learning programs. Because when we love music, we love learning 
we love life. Let's tune in. Hello, Ali Davids. Welcome to the Music and Mindset Matters podcast. It's really lovely to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be a first first visitor. I know. Um, for those that are listening, I didn't mention anything last week, but I said there was a special guest coming up. So you are my special guest. And I know that you and I share a huge, uh, very similar passion about music and supporting people to really um, connect with their own musicality. And we share a love of learning and a love of working with people, but especially young people as well. And I have such a big list of questions, um, but one question that really is on my mind a lot, and I know it's on a lot of um, educators and teachers and parents' minds, is why is music so important? Like what's what's the big deal with music and the brain? Why why is it such an important part of our lives? It's a big well, there's, it's a big question. There are many ways it could go, but at its core, we know because neuroscience shows us clearly that when we experience music and experiencing it can either mean listening to it, making it, or even thinking about it. So even when we just have a little tune going over and over in our head, which um, interestingly enough is what we call an earworm and adults tend to not like earworms. And this is because we come from this cognitive place of being annoyed by this annoying thing that's in our head. However, an earworm is happening when our brain is experiencing music, which allows more of the brain to become active. So it's it's regulatory. Um, but, yeah, when we experience music, more of the brain becomes active all at the same time than it does when we experience anything else yet that science has been able to prove to us. So basically what we're, ha- what we're experiencing is a whole brain response, mm-hmm. and that's why we have... In, uh, that's why our brain can function. Uh, uh, that's why our neurons can pass messages along to each other. That's how we can integrate sensory information and make sense of questions and um, move our emotions through us. All of the things that we need to do that our brain sort of regulates or is in charge of can become a bit easier when we are experiencing music. Now, there is a variety of different ways to experience music to sort of impact different parts of the brain, but at its core, um, music is one of the, the, I think of the brain as a musical organ. And I, I, many years ago, I trained with the Academy of Neurologic Music Therapy. And the very first thing I learned is that music is one of our mother tongues. So Mm -hmm. it is our birthright to express our musicality and to be human is to be musical. There is no doubting that every single person um, has music inside of them and that expressing that and allowing that music to be used and and heard and made and even just thought about Mm. um, helps our brain function in heaps of different ways. Mm. I love that idea of music is our mother tongue. It's not an idea. It's, you know, it's a really valid concept because one thing um, that I know I'll be doing in the next couple of weeks is running my challenge of finding and embracing your own musical bone because like you, it just, oh, it annoys me and it breaks my heart when people say, oh, I'm not musical or I can't sing. It's like you can. You've just been told by society that you can't and it's just, it's so harmful, isn't it, because we are all born musical, therefore we are musical and we need to sort of 
do you know, take away all the layers that we've been pushed down by other people saying, oh, you have to be musical if you play an instrument or you study classical music. There's this real, um, I don't know, you always have better words to, to describe it than me, but there's this real sort of almost snobbery that musical, being musical means that you are a musician. It's just crap, isn't it? Yeah, I want to say a big part of that is colonisation because we okay. tend to think that the Western the Western music scale, the Western theory, the classical lessons, the clarinet, that's what we call musical. And firstly, uh, this is um, basically what we're saying is the parents who could afford piano lessons for their kids yeah. are the ones who get to be musical or the people who... Uh, have the confidence to sing in a microphone at the school assembly, they're the musical ones. So we have, it's there's a lot of gatekeeping okay. in the world of who we say is music and who isn't. But there's also, it's very colonised, this idea that we have to, you know, even for me as a music therapist, I had to have done a certain level of uh, music examination exams, right? Um, which all Western theory, Western, Western. So to be able to get into university to study music therapy, I had to have had a Western um, training in music. So we pedestal certain mm. types of music. But what we pedestal is new. It's Western. It's not traditional. It's it's a product of colonisation. And, in fact, getting in touch with whatever music we have inside us and singing no matter how we sound because there genuinely is no such thing as in tune or out of tune when you deconstruct what that means. Um, it's a form of decolonization. It's really, really good for us. It's liberating. It, it allows us to um, rebel against the systems that have suppressed our voices. Um, and so it's hard at the beginning to just open your mouth and make music when you believe you are not musical. Um but it soon becomes a very cathartic and liberating experience. Definitely. I had that experience, you know, um, probably a little bit about my background, but I studied classical piano in that classical way. And I'm since I was five. So I've, I'm really grateful for a lot of the skills, <clears throat> excuse me, the skills and the information that it taught me, but it's only one part of that huge musical puzzle, isn't it? And it's really... Um, it does sort of put you in that box that, okay, you have to do it this way or you have to do it that way. And it doesn't sometimes allow you to express your natural musicality. And so many people are surprised now when they hear me sing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a Beyonce. I, I know that, but that doesn't matter. I love singing. And only in the last two years have I enjoyed singing and sharing it with people. Otherwise I was just in the shower or in the car. And I think that inner confidence that comes from when you are comfortable with your own voice and your own self, who you are, and expressing it through music and through song, I think that's really important. And it leads me to then, I know you do a lot of um, a lot of work singing with others and helping them to find their own voice. How do you, I mean, convince is not the right word, but just, a you know, your general everyday person that, really knows there's something deep inside of them but they're just scared or they're just really worried or feeling shy how do we support people to realize that they have their own voice 
Well, I start by exploring the ways in which our voices have been suppressed and not even not necessarily our singing voices, but just our voices all up. So I always start with a conversation that everyone can relate to, which sort of goes along the lines of, you know, almost all of us. Um, and and I don't think this is the case for little ones today, but for anyone who is an adult mm. um, and um, we were sort of brought up hearing things like children should be seen and not heard, uh, can you please let the adults speak, um, stop making silly noises, <laughs> uh, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. We heard many, many variations of things that were intended to silence us and, in fact, we learned very quickly that a noisy child is not an easy child and a quiet child is a good child. Now, we would never use these words now, but back in the days when everything was sort of led by behavioural science, that is what was believed. And so all of us learned very early on that using our voice can potentially damage our relationship with our primary caregiver. Yeah. And that's the messaging that we receive as, as a baby or as a toddler or as a small child whose very survival is based on having a strong connection or a strong attachment with our primary caregiver. So we we internalise this sense of using my voice can be unsafe. Now, there are people in the world who gen genuinely using their voice is unsafe. There are people still to this day who are killed mm. for using yeah. their voice. Yeah. So it's not something just from the past and it, this is not to minimise the very real danger that some people do have in using their voice. But for most of us, um, we've internalised this idea that using our voice can be harmful when, in fact, it's not really going to impact our safety. Mm. And so starting from a place of recognising that this is everyone, not just some people, this is not just the people who think that they sing out of tune, everybody's voices has been suppressed. Mm. Um, but every single one of us has the capacity to uh, reconnect with our voice and, and, and I always start from a place of soothing it and accepting it and the aim is never to make it better or stronger or more sounding like you said Beyonce. Like So the goal is just to love our voice, accept yeah. our voice and and just feel, start to develop a sense of safety around it. Yeah, that's really interesting, building that safety around it because then that leads into mindfulness and your mindset and, you know, really calming your amygdala, switching off that alarm system that, okay, well, if I sing out of tune, oh, my gosh, I can hear myself, that sounds terrible, I'm going to stop, you know, and you either, you know, freeze or flight, you want to you wanna hide away. Coming back to then um, generations that, you know, right now, like the children, young children of today and, and things that we can do to support them so that they don't get, like it's almost like a prevention kind of model, I, I suppose. Um, some of the things that we can do in our early learning programs, in kindergarten, in our early years at school, are there some really um I don't know, simple things that we can do to encourage this sort of um, holistic idea of using your voice safely? Yeah, well, luckily and most importantly, children, especially in early learning, already still believe that they are musical. Yes. So you would know that you walk into a kindy and say, put your hands up if you're musical, every hand will go up. Yeah. But when you go into, say, a, a class of 13-year-olds, 
let's just say grade six or grade seven and say put your hand up if you're musical, only the ones who've had lessons or feel confident in their voice um, will put their hands up. Yeah. So when we're working, when we're talking about little kids, we have a lot of potential there because all they need from us is to witness us expressing ourselves musically and it just tells them that and also us allowing them to use their voice um i think it's very important that even though we were told that um when we were young people were sort of uh shunned i guess a little bit if they mumbled or if they spoke too fast or Mm. if their voice was this or that um it's very important that even though we have that deep conditioning that if you speak too fast, you need to slow down or if you mumble, you need to do this or you need to change it somehow. Even though we have that deep conditioning in our past, I think what we need to do is make a real effort to allow every voice of a little one to come out or anyone to come out exactly as it comes out Mm. and to not make it um, uh, seem to be lesser than a clear, strong, confident voice. Yeah. But also allowing little ones to just see us express our musicality just gives them permission to always do it. And if they don't know any different, if they don't know that some adults don't think they're musical, hopefully they will never take that path. Yeah. Just Bearing witness to us being musical is the most potent thing that you can do for little ones. Yeah, it really is. It's that modelling and and showing that you can have fun too because the sad thing about as we grow up, we often tend to think, well, we can't play anymore or we can't have fun anymore. And that's, you know, that's that's really sad because we need to have fun and we need to play. Yeah, and many people, many people. Yeah, and many people have said to me that they stopped having lessons when they didn't think they were improving anymore. So there's also this thing on how having music lessons needs to be a succession of improving and getting better and better and better and better. But when people stop having lessons because they don't think that they're improving or progressing, they often stop experiencing music. And and this is because of the way we've pedestaled music lessons and music education as the primary form of music experiencing. And so I would like to challenge that by saying just expressing ourselves musically in any way it comes out is more vital to our relationship with our musicality than uh, music education. And to get back to your, yeah, I think it's really important to point that out because we automatically think of music education as the highest form of how we can experience music. But we can be having music uh, lessons at school, we can be having lessons, but they're not expressing ourselves musically in the home. Mm. Um, I also want to say that in terms of how we can support little ones uh, with their music, is really, really, really taking music to its very, very most basic form. So I think of music as like an umbrella term. It's like a sum of all its parts. We tend to think of music as the production, the song, the recording, but music is is made up of of many, many different musical elements. Mm -hmm. So music is, so melody is music, rhythm is music, frequency, vibration, rhythm, tempo, um, you know, even silence, we literally cannot have rhythm without silence. 
And so this is why the brain has such a full response to music because it's responding individually to all these different elements. Yeah. So we can have rhythm by itself. It doesn't have to be part of a melodic thing that also involves this and also involves that. It can just be clapping. It can just be one steady, continuous clap. It can just be going for a walk and each footstep creates a heartbeat, a pulse. That's music. Our brain is responding to it. Mm-hmm. Our brain, the motor cortex, is the part of the brain that um, tells our body how to move, and it's really hugely influenced by the rhythms that we hear in the environment. So, you know, um, little songs like little clippy-clappy games like Miss Mary Mac and even hopscotch and and jumping and skipping ropes and anything that creates a rhythm, that is music as far as our brain is concerned. And then with, with melody, we can listen to it. We don't have to make it. We don't have to be able to play the guitar. We don't have to be what we think of as in tune. If we are even speaking in a way that has a lot of prosody and movement, our brain, our limbic system is becoming active because it's interpreting melody in the environment. Mm. So we don't have to feel like we know what we're doing or do anything fancy to be using music um, as a really regulatory tool. Mm. I love that idea that you just said um, we don't have to be doing anything fancy because this is something that I talk to all colleagues, parents, even kids, even my own kids, and I think it's probably because I sing all the time. I'm constantly making up songs. I'm just, you know, there's a lot of musical stuff going on in my brain. But that's a perfect sort of segue into this idea of why do kids respond when you sing an instruction instead of saying the instruction, you know, like, okay, put your shoes on, time to go. Put your shoes on, time to go. They're not listening to you. But if you go, put your shoes on, it's time to go, put your shoes on, and you, they're instantly like, oh, I've got to put my shoes on. Let's go. What is happening? Why does that make such a big effect? Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah. So when we experience spoken communication, we're really just activating the the prefrontal cortex and the part of our brain that's in charge of, you know, actually putting on the shoes and remembering what we're meant to be doing and finishing the task and doing what we're told and all of those things, which are important. But those things are very, very difficult for children because, children's prefrontal cortexes don't develop until they're, you know, five, six, seven, eight, you know, any any earlier or even higher, yes. Yeah. And, in fact, it's fully developed until we're about 26 and then it's just a slow decline from there. So executive functioning is one of our least reliable parts of the brain. But when we sing, when when our brains experience melody, the limbic system becomes active, which is the part of the brain that allows emotion to move through us. Um, And our brain is experiencing melody, which means more parts of the brain become active than when we're just hearing speech. So all of a sudden both hemispheres are able to talk to each other, Um, um, pathways, neural pathways are talking, getting things done. The other great thing about melody is that it, makes it much more likely for us to create and retrieve long-term memories. Mm. So long-term memories, the function of long-term memories is also highly involved with the limbic system. So when we experience melody, we often create a long-term memory. Uh, we are, uh, Sorry, when we experience melody, we often create a long-term memory, which is why 
for example, I've taught my kids my phone number to a tune. Yeah. And that's why we remember this, the times tables if we learned them as a song. This is why we remember advertisements from when we were kids from TV because they always had a very simple tune attached. So yeah. melody will help them remember the things that we need them to do. But in its most basic form, it's just activating more of the brain so that they can actually do the thing you need them to do. Mm. And I think that's a great takeaway that we can um, share with early childhood educators in particular because they're working with that younger cohort of children, but any educators, any parents, that they don't have to necessarily sing the instruction but just make it a little bit more rhythmic, a little bit more melodic because I know so many people, so many educators I've worked with say, Oh, but I can't sing that. I'm not going to sing to them to put their shoes on. I said, well, you don't have to sing it in a beautiful operatic voice. You just have put your shoes on, put your shoes on, and you'll instantly get a different reaction or different response, and that will be a more positive response, and then you won't feel like you're going down this pathway of getting really cranky, and then they'll get cranky back at you, and, you know, it just snowballs from there. So there's some really simple things, you know, not fancy, like you said, that we can bring into our just our daily routine that really support the brain to thrive. Is that a great, a good way to say it? It's supporting the brain to thrive and really be supercharged. Mm. Yeah, and I'd say also support the nervous system to feel soothed. So another simple thing that we can do, even if we don't feel like we're a singer, um, is just be aware of the tone of our voice. So we have this dialect called parentese, which used to be called motherese, and you can. there's lots of research for anyone who wants to look this up. Um, And I call it, I think of it as lullaby voice. So when you're using lullaby voice, your voice heightens, the pitch heightens a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and this happens because historically our nervous system has learnt that deeper, like, sounds are more likely to kill us than high-pitched sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So and when the pitch in our voice goes up a little bit, our nervous system feels soothed. Mm. Uh, when we speak in parentese, we slow our voice down and make long, stretched-out sounds. Um, And that's also something that soothes the nervous system. The nervous system prefers and feels safer with longer sounds than fast, short sounds. Mm. Um, So there's all these tiny things that we inherently do when we're using our voice in a way that we would, for example, with a brand-new baby or a very cute kitten or puppy. And if we can do that um, to ourselves, if we can speak to ourselves in that voice, and speak with other people in that voice. We tend not to use parentese with toddlers, for example, because by then we're expecting more of them and we think that they're misbehaving and we're dysregulated and so we find it less um, easy for us to use that gentle lullaby voice. But if we can practice it and 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 um, really learn how to speak to ourselves in that gentle way, I, I always think that, At its core, if we're using music as a tool for safety, whatever you would do with a newborn musically is going to help anyone feel safe Mm. because we use parentese in our voice. We use that very gentle, whispery voice. We gently sway. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't expect too much. Every single thing we do with a newborn is 
done with the intent that we know it will help the baby feel loved, safe, and connected. And all the neuroscience tells us that that is what a developing brain needs to feel loved, safe, and connected. And music is a fabulous tool for that. Mm. So anything that we would do with music, it doesn't have to be like a funny song that five-year-olds are going to laugh at and love. It can be simple, really, really simple. Mm. Um, And just picture, would I do this with a newborn? And if the answer is yes, you know that it's going to support the nervous system to feel safe. And when that happens, the brain often feels a lot more in control. And so the functioning is going to happen easier. But but feeling safe in the body um, is fundamental to any kind of learning or educational outcome that you would want happening in a classroom. Mm. Just on that point, I know you know, I know what feeling safe looks like in the in the brain and the body. Can you, in maybe a couple of shorter sentences, just for anybody listening out there that's asking, what do you mean safe? Like safe from what? What what yeah. does it look like? What does that feel like? What does that look like? What's happening? Yeah, so felt safety is what we call the feeling of of feeling safe in our body, even if all around us is chaos and confusion and we might be in a really chaotic environment. If we just have this feeling in our body that isn't tense, so an unsafe feeling in our body is tight muscles, numb lips and nose, clenched Mm -hmm. um, posture, um, um, feeling nauseous, um, all of the things that the physiological things that we experience that we call anxiety are a feeling in our body of not feeling safe. Now, the the confusion comes in when the brain is actually, yes, it's a brilliant computer-like thing that knows a lot, but it's also quite, like, simple in some ways. And it does not know the difference between actual threats and perceived threats, which is why even if we are perfectly safe, we can still feel unsafe. And, And when I say feeling unsafe, I basically mean feeling anxious. Very important, isn't it? And the brain can be quite opinionated, can't it? (laughs) Our inner critic, you know, we get into a pattern of speaking to ourselves or responding in a certain way over and over again. We need to come back and do those things like breathing or speaking to changing the tone of our voice and creating that feeling of safety, which will then calm our nervous system down. Yeah, it's fascinating, the brain, isn't it? Absolutely. I know. Um, one other question that I had, I'm really curious to see or to find out how your journey to music and music therapy began. Did you feel like that was what you were called to do as a child or as you grew yeah. up? I did. Um, so I didn't really. So I went through school playing the saxophone and playing a little bit of the piano and singing. And I was very involved in the music culture of my high school. I was band captain, actually. (laughs) Uh, I got to wear a badge on my blazer that said band captain. It was very nerdy, but I was extremely proud of it. Um, I, I, as a child, so I'm an autistic person. I didn't receive my or figure out my autistic identity until I was in my mid-30s 
But all through primary school, I used music as a form of regulation without realising that I was accommodating my needs. So I've always counted. I've always counted in my head in threes and fours. And if I'm not experiencing music, I'm counting. And what I've noticed is that the counting becomes more at times of stress and uh, less at times where I'm feeling safe in my body. Um, but when I was growing up and I was I was experiencing music by playing it and listening to it and making it and all that, I was definitely uh, regulating needs that I didn't know I had. It gave context to the counting. So I all of a sudden when I was experiencing music, it was the counting and I didn't have to obsessively count anymore. And when I experienced music, I felt these feelings of like music was keeping me alive, but I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to, what that meant. But I was experiencing all these kinds of things that then once I realised I was autistic and also after I became a neurologic music therapist, it all made sense. Um, but I couldn't not do music. And mm -hmm. so I sort of did go down that path of doing music partly because I loved it, partly because I didn't think I could do anything else, and partly because when I wasn't doing music, I was not great at doing anything. Yeah. I wasn't someone who could finish any yeah. tasks or be <laughs> practical or organised in, in anything. And so I sort of just I sort of followed the, the path of least resistance in a way but also followed the path of the only thing that I knew that I was really meant to do in this life is kind of how it feels oh, and we're so grateful to have you have had your journey your story and now you're using all of that to make your own life better your family's life but so many other people in this community across the world let's world domination through music <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we have um, in the, the resources that I offer online for um, people to, you know, really start unpacking their relationship with their voice and their musicality. Uh, we have people from 60 different countries accessing this work. So it, it is a global thing. Um, and it's a very universal thing. It doesn't feel like it's just the Western culture that's been suppressed. It's all the cultures and especially the, for definitely the traditional musical cultures who have whose music has been replaced. Mm. There is a lot of healing to take place there and it's very important that we tap into cultural responsibility when we're talking about music because some many people in the world have had their music uh, removed and replaced by our Western system. Yeah. So there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and music's the best way to do That's the best portal, isn't it, through with healing with you know letting it move through us into like personally and communities and globally and then as a human consciousness yeah. yes because there's no culture that doesn't have music traditionally yeah. as part of its core yeah. uh, so music is inherently part of every community these days in the what modern western world it's becoming less and less because we only think it applies if there's a budget for it yeah. or we only give the option to those who are in quotation marks good enough and that kind of stuff so firstly we took away the traditional music from traditional cultures and now we're also making it an exclusive thing where you only get it if you have enough funding or your parents can afford it so what we're doing with music continues to be in the opposite direction when we look at music within the systems um, so it's important that we access, and it's a great idea that we access music outside of the systems, in the grassroots like the community choir mm. um, and 
um, local events, having local musicians play at local events and making um, it accessible for all people to play music in different ways with instruments that you don't need lessons for and stuff like that. And that will bring a, a, a lot of healing to communities. Yeah, wonderful. Ali, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that we're going to get together in the future and have more of these chats because you have so much to share. You have so much to, I don't uh, don't want to just use teach because teach kind of stops. You share and educate and guide with people and I love that and I love your authenticity that comes through. You know, this. you're just really committed to support and guide people and yourself. So thank you so much. With all your links, I'm going to put those in the show notes. So um, any way we can get in, you know, get more information from you and get some support that way, all of that will be included in the show notes. But, um, yeah, from the bottom of my heart, my musical bones are saying thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. Such a pleasure, Christy. Thanks for having me. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This episode was brought to you by my signature course, Music and Mindset, the most comprehensive online course for early childhood educators and carers. You can check it out at moversandshakersmusic.com.au. Remember the double O in movers, along with lots of other free resources to inspire you and boost your confidence and skills. If you love this episode, please spread the joy. Share it with a friend, tag me on social media at Movers and Shakers Music. And remember to download it and give it a rating because that really helps us to continue creating content that's relevant and useful for you and for many others. I'm Christy Russell and I'm here to help you understand why music and mindset matters. See you again soon.